Now let me say this to you, therefore. I am welcome back home. <laughs> now, I'm very proud to be the pastor of a life, a living church, which you are. And I'm very, very much happy and proud of those of you who come all the way and all the time to hear heaven speak. There is a better tomorrow for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the midst of shaking, that is when we excel. Hallelujah. Because the God of heaven is the one who decrees the shaking of nations. And anyone that he did not establish cannot stand. And we bless his name that in the midst of this shaking, we are established. Amen. While I was leaving for my trip in Nigeria, two weeks ago, I was sharing with you about these three things the cross of Calvary did for Christians. And we will go through it again. And then I will take you into what I promised to, to treat when I come back, which I've started to treat already. The first thing is this. I told in the book of Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 through to 14 that Jesus, may God rescue us from the dominion of darkness. Yes? Come on, I will speak together. And he translated us where? Into the kingdom of his son. In whom we have what? Forgiveness of sin. Redemption of us of our sins. And then I told you, therefore, anybody born again is sinless. Amen? Because somebody paid the price. Somebody died for it. Alright? Don't forget that. Don't let the devil make you feel guilty for what God has forgiven. For your sins and your forefathers' sins, you have been pardoned. So the sins of your forefathers have no dominion over you. Really? Either you sins, some people say I confess my sins knowingly and unknowingly. The common sense is that if it is unknowingly, it cannot be a sin. <laughs> because a sin is to miss the mark. <laughs> but of course you understand that what they are talking about is moral judgment. So therefore, whether knowingly or unknowingly, your sins are forgiven. The second thing the cross of Jesus Christ did for you is in, second, in that same Colossians chapter 2 verse 14. And it says that having cancelled every written code that stands against us with all his legal demands, he nailed them on the cross. And I have spent time in this church helping you to understand what that really means because that's a statement of law. The written code, another translation says every status. And I help you to understand that, you know, if you align that with the book of Ephesians chapter 2, which tells you from verse 1 to verse 3 that you and I, we used to live in the world, when we used to live in the world, we were under the control, jurisdiction of the prince of the air, the power that is now at work both in the church, those who are disobedient, and in the world. And I help you understand, therefore, that if Jesus nailed on the cross every statute, which is the primary statutes of governance, and then every subsidiary, which are regulations, which are secondary statutes or rules and regulations that could be spoken about. He nailed it on the cross, which means that no decision of hell has credence on anyone again. It doesn't matter who decided. If anybody sits in darkness and can talk about you, and take a decision over you, that decision is non grata because you are no more under the jurisdiction of the devil. That's the reason why many a times they have attempted your life and it failed. You didn't even know it. They have cursed you and it didn't work. They have wished you evil, but what happened to you is good. Because whatever decision taken by anybody that is not within the kingdom of God, jurisdiction, any decision taken by them over a saint of God, the Bible tells us Jesus needs on the cross, so it's not avoid. Now, when I came back this week, I began to teach you in the first three days about the, th the four pillars of the kingdom. 
Isn't it? What is the one? Preaching the, the gospel, the kingdom. Then two. Healing the sick. Three. Casting out devils. And making disciples. Now, let me help you understand there are four. I explained to you from there and took you through to help you understand the dominion of darkness. You remember? On Tuesday, we went into what is the dominion of darkness. And I explained to you from the biblical evidence about the structure of Satan on earth today. From principality to power to rulers of darkness to spiritual hosts of wickedness. Okay. So, if you, if you flash back into the lecture of Tuesday, understanding that Satan, you know, who is the king of, you know, kingdom of darkness... And under him you have principalities and you have power, subsidiaries and rulers of darkness. Even to the place where every individual Christian has demons attached to them. Okay? Right. If you connect that with Colossians chapter 2 verse, uh, verse 14. It says that Jesus counseled every status, regulations, which could be done by the principalities and with Lucifer. Which is decisions they make that is binding over nations. Jesus cancelled it. The decisions that demons make, whatever their categories are, whether they are principal, were powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of evil forces in 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 in, in uh, uh, heavenly realms, every decision they take over you, your family, your wife, your children, your your marriage. It's non grata. It's just like a stupid man talking, or a foolish man, or a madman on the street saying that I will make sure you don't go to your home. Can a madman stop you from going to your house? You are driving a car, he's walking on his feet. Now, I wanted to now connect the lecture of Wednesday back to Colossians because I want to show you some few things today. So, we agree that your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Yes? Come on and say amen. Then we agree that it doesn't matter what the devil is, what name he calls himself, what warlocks are, what witches and wizards are. Any decision they take over you is non grata. They have no effect. Yes? Amen? amen. Come on now, say amen. amen. Okay, I want to take you deeper. <laughs> and then verse 15. Went further to say the third thing the cross of Calvary did. It says, haven't disarmed principalities and powers. And you know, one of the things that intrigues me in all these statements is the word having, 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 having. The word having, having cancelled, having disarmed, having cancelled, having disarmed. It means that it has already happened. Are we together now? It has already happened. Now it says it disarmed principles and powers and, and then it made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, Satan does not have the authority to decide over you or your family. The weapons of the devil that he used to destroy mankind when he sent it to you is ineffective. Because Jesus dealt with it on the cross. Now the question arises. Why is it that some Christians still say that Satan made me do something terrible? We are living in the real life now. How would you put a Christian man... Who got angry with his wife and punched her nose? How will you put that? How will you put a Christian, supposedly, who got fed up of life and took his own life and committed suicide? Now, let me come a little bit lower. How would you feel or put a Christian who commits adultery with his friend's wife? Now, let me go a little bit more complicated. How would you put a bishop, an apostle, a prophet, a general overseer, a man of God, who the church entrusts with their lives, to the extent that men in the church entrust the life of their wives in his hands. And then he committed adultery with the wife of his members, who serve him, who trust him. Listen to me. How do you put a Christian who has been very, very zealous and suddenly he began to be contentious about God? How would you put a Christian who comes to a church, a church where the truth is preached, where sin is not called a, a niece? Sin is defined 
And then he will gather on Sunday, but he will go out on Monday to, to live in sin. I'm talking about Christians who will say we are born again. They will sing, they will cry even when they sing. But yeah, they keep on living in sin. How do you put them? If the, the decision of hell have no jurisdiction over us, which is true, and the weapons of Satan is non grata, then what, what who is responsible for all these mess? A Christian who lies, who runs down other people. How do you pull them? This is what I want to solve today. How do you pull Christians who repent of the same sin again and again and they go back to it? I mean, very terrible sin. You know, if we were, if God was man, and imagine in a church, a person is sleeping with another person's wife, and both of them come to the same church, and both of them lift up their hands towards God, and both of them sing praises unto God, even when they cry when they are worshipping. And yet they are living in that sin. If you were God, what would you do? You will instantly destroy them. Because it's the greatest contempt a man can give to the one who lives, to any authority. But then, when you ask these people, why? They said, devil made me do it. But the Bible says, Anybody who is born again is free from decision of the devil. Not only that, it's free from the weapons of the devil. So why do you have these and people still identify themselves and call themselves Christians? I want to help you with this. Of course, we know a school of thought will say, Jesus said, not anyone, everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of my Father, but only those who do my will. I think that is the sentence that awaits anybody who does those things. That's the sentence. Because not everybody who comes to church will rapture. The Bible says so. <laughs> People who are not serious in church today, when we are gone, they are the ones who will be the preacher. Very serious. But it will not be good for anyone to be part of that. Who have been part of the word, church. Now let me help you understand the four. To answer that question, we have to answer the question why people break the laws of Great Britain. Two reasons could be responsible for breaking the law in England. Especially when it comes to the commonwealth of, you know, British born and raised here and migrants who became British by conversion. This is it. One is either somebody came from England and, you know, he doesn't know the laws of England. Isn't it? And then he will just do what he knows is law in his country. Correct? Like, you know, I had some people many years ago in England who just came from a country, I won't mention the name of the country, and they came and they started driving car in England. And the police stopped them. And he said to the police that, you know, the police said, do you have a license? He said, yes, I do. And the police said, produce it. And he says that, well, you know, it's learner's permit. And the police said, what is learner's permit? Where's the license? He said, it produced provisional license. And police said that, don't you know, this is provisional license. He said, yes. He's convinced. The police is convinced. Because where he came from, you can drive with provisional license. And the police says to him that, don't you understand, in this country, you need to put an L plate. And also you need to have a driver beside you. What is L plate? You know the place in England where you say, all right, can you just report in the station? He said, why am I reporting the station? He said, you have just broken the law. He said, look, look, Bo, I'm sorry. Huh? You know, you say the place in England, you are sorry? He said, all right, come to the station. But where he's coming from, he said to the place that I'm sorry, he said, don't let me catch you again, do this thing. You see the difference? So, in the place in England, it says, okay, okay, all right, you are sorry. So, you know you're wrong, you are sorry. Okay, now you, you produce. You have to pay for it. He said, but I begged you already. What are you talking about? I have just told you I'm sorry. The fact is that in this country, sorry, in no law of Great Britain, can be a remedy for contravention. No matter how many, sorry, you sorry. But of course, this guy they're talking to from where he came from, when he says sorry two to three times, they just let him go. So, 
You can break the law because of ignorance of the law. That's number one. Yes? Second thing is this. You can break the law deliberately. I know this is wrong and I do it. I damn the consequence. Or I underrate the consequence. Or I ignore the consequence. Yeah? Every criminal in England do not like to go to jail. They always believe that I will escape it until Satan will, will now close gap and corner them. And the devil is very master in this influencing business. Okay? Therefore, if in the law of man, you can break the law, either you are ignorant of the law, or you can break the law because you deliberately decide to break the law. Let us see the scriptures too. Why Christians do things that is contrary to the will of God. Why a man will punch his wife, or a wife will break the head of his wife, her husband, and they both will come to church on Sunday to sing praises unto God. Why a man will be living in adultery with another person, both of them go to the same church, or go to some different churches. This is why. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. It says expressly, as for you, you were dead in the transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, somebody help that person, when you follow the ways of this world, alright, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those disobedient, now stop there. This scripture tells me there are two categories of people who break laws. People who are under the law of Satan, before you are born again. Anybody not born again is a brute, is reckless, he can do whatever he likes. <laughs> he can do whatever he likes but anybody who is born again too can decide to do what is contrary to God's will in that decision is Satan involved? no have you seen the devil pick the man from here and flew him to another place and put him on top of another woman in another house you've seen the devil did that excuse me if you said that you have seen it, you will show me the country it happened. Have you seen the devil who took a man and raised his hand to punch his wife because he was angry? No, devil don't do that. Excuse me. Because why? You know, if... I, 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 I celebrated my 34th anniversary in my wedding last Sunday. You celebrated it on my behalf. I have arrived now. I was told how you celebrated me. But my celebration I postponed to next Sunday because you will celebrate me in, in my face. Yes. What you did last Sunday, you will redo it again when I'm here. Hallelujah, somebody. And in the 44th year I've been with my wife, that we have been on this journey. Look, do you think my wife has not made me angry for 44 years? She has. Do you think I didn't make her angry? I did too. Do you think we agree every day? No. What has kept us for 24 years, for the 44 years knowing one another? Is disagreement an agreement? Is that correct with you too? Excuse me. Now let me say something to you. My wife did something I didn't like. And I punched her mouth. Is it Satan? No. Satan sold the idea to me. My pride made me punch her. I am the one who committed the act. Have you ever seen a person who committed murder? And when he got to the judge, he said to the judge, Satan made me do it. And the judge said, oh yes, he's a joint contributor. So I'm going to sentence this man and the devil together into jail. <laughs> you had that happen in your own country? In England, it happened. <laughs> if someone says Satan made me do it, what will judge do? What will judge do? Judge will say, alright. If the judge wants to be passionate, he will say, okay. If Satan made you do it, the fact is that... Uh, if you can present Satan, we will be very happy so we can lessen your sentence. And you can share the sentence together. But the fact is that there is no Satan anywhere. Satan sells you idea, you are the perpetrator. You decided to accept it. But let me say this to you. Imagine that my wife's brother is Joshua. You know the Joshua? The guy who just punched them for 10 million last week. The British, next, the new world, way, world heavyweight champion. Now, it's my, it's my wife's brother. And he was at the door. Knocking at the door. And my wife made me angry. And I have raised my hand and he said, this is Joshua. Hello? 
I'm very sure that if I didn't put that hand back into my pocket and Joshua came in and behind her sister to come and greet her sister and I took my hand to punch the nose of her sister, I'm very sure under reflex action, his hand will have stretched behind, you know, through the neck and tried to stop my hand from reaching her sister. And in the case that his hand hit my hand, trying to block my hand from reaching the sister, what happened to my hand? It broke to pieces. So, if I wanted to punch her mouth, and I discovered that Joshua is behind her, I would just say that, you know, be careful. Is that not so? Because I know that if I go beyond that, under self-defense, my hand may suffer affliction. So, what made me beat my wife? Is it Satan? No. Because I had an option to stop. And I thought that a hold me is my pride. If my wife was a wrestler, and she is a black belt of judo karate, and she provoked me to anger, will I dare to slap her? Because I know that as my hand is going towards her mouth, she is master in a skill that can, before I know it, I'm on the floor, asking for mercy. So, therefore, by evidence of fact, it is my pride that made me slap her. Because I felt she is defenseless. I made a choice. Ignore the loss of God and ignore the loss of man. Therefore, Satan can't make me do it. But I did it myself. A Christian still, Satan didn't make you steal, you stole yourself. A Christian lied, Satan didn't make you lie, you lied yourself. A Christian decided to abuse somebody, and you're abusing, 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 and abusing, and your bones and muscles are rising to slander somebody else, to abuse somebody else. There is no demon in you. It's you who just do it. You just did it. Satan only suggested to you. He didn't make you do it. That's the reason why when God judges in his jurisprudence, he is always just and fair. The soul that's in it, it shall die. Therefore, you have in the church of God people who deliberately break the laws of God. You have in the church of God people who deliberately just do what they shouldn't do with the people in the world, which we did when we were in the world. But now that we have born again, the difference between you born again and the person in the world is that when you were in the world, you couldn't help yourself. You are under the command of the devil. He forces you to do things. But when you are born again, you are free. For Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, For therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the flesh, Jesus did by the cross. Listen, therefore, what then can bring a Christian to a place like that? Why some other Christians are not like that? Why some other Christians are saying that, oh, when I used to be in the world, I was a reckless person. But now, I'm so disciplined. Oh, when I used to be in the world, I was a brute fighter. I love to create trouble. I love to, to clash two friends together, their heads, and, and be rejoicing when they are quarreling. But now I'm born again. It stinks to me. I couldn't even try it. The ability to do that is dead in me. Oh, when I was not a Christian, I was very greedy. But now that I'm born again, I'm just so satisfied with where I got. What is the difference between the two people? I will show you that. And then we can drive home. If you look at their four, in the book of Ephesians, the first thing that is the, pro- is the difference, which I would call the remedy to life in God, or godly living, is the remedy to godly living. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. It says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding, I keep asking that the God of the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? Know him better. You know what makes a Christian to live right? Your knowledge of Christ. It's your knowledge of Christ. But if you look at the knowledge of Christ, I say, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father 
that he may give you the spirit of what? Wisdom and what? Say wisdom. Revelation. Of Jesus Christ. I was in my, in my ministry meeting last, uh, this week, two days ago in um, Europe for Christ. The Lord told me some secrets of life. You know the spirit of wisdom. How do you get it? The origin of wisdom is the fear of God. It says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then it says a good understanding hath all who fear him. Which means that if you want to be very intelligent, the only way to it is to, be, to fear God. The more you fear God, the more intelligent you become. I mean, I can understand a Christian student struggling over, over his school work and stuff like that. Take more dose of the fear of God. You get more dose of wisdom. And wisdom is knowledge and understanding in demonstration. If you have problem knowing good things, it is because you haven't increased in the dose of the fear of God. The Lord told me, you want to be very wise and intelligent in this world. Then fear me. You get it. You get it. You don't struggle with knowledge. For the fear of God is because of knowledge. And the Bible tells us here that Paul prayed that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus better. That's the first remedy. The second remedy is verse 18. It says, I keep, I pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints is and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now understand this. He says here, verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What is the word enlightened? The word enlightened means educated. I pray that the eyes of your heart be educated. Of course, he says, being, isn't it? I pray that the eyes of your eyes, the heart, the, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, let me get us to go this. Every information that a man has is a revelation for direction. Now, in this country, you may have some people who are really making it. Business-wise, financial-wise. And you sit together in the pews of the church. Alright? And you think they are genius. Okay? But the only thing is that they are not genius. They only had information, great information at the right time. Which you didn't have. Some of you may have money in the bank. Be a lot of money, 50,000, 100,000 pounds in the bank. And you may have a colleague of yours who did not have 50,000 bank in the bank, 50,000 pounds in the bank, because he has invested his 50,000 pounds in, in property. At the time, property was cheap. And his property now was over a million. If he sells those property now, he will come out with a cash of one million. But you are putting your 50,000 banks all, pounds all over the period that the, the property was cheap, but you did not have information that you could have gone to bank with your 50,000 pounds, and they would have given you loan to buy a house of, uh, I mean, three, four, five houses, paying 10,000 pounds each as a deposit. But the other guy had that knowledge, and he took his 50,000 pounds, and he bought three houses, and now the three houses worth more than a million, whereas your own 50,000 pounds have just are increased in interest over the past 10 years to about 60,000. The guy now sells his house, one of his houses. He bought a new house for himself without, you know, mortgage-free. Then he decided to buy a new car. He bought a brand new car. 
We want to go for holiday. He can afford it. My children is going to university. He doesn't have a headache. Let them multiply the, 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 the school fees. He can afford it. He can send his children to private schools and all stuff like that. But you are the same thing, the same child. You had the same potential. But you didn't have information that will have given you direction because of the time. And so in the future that you have attained together, sitting together, there have been a disparity of comfort. Therefore, enlightenment is fundamental to revelation. That's why Paul prayed. What does this say should be enlightened? Your heart. A Christian that is reckless, he is reckless because his heart is not enlightened. The difference between riches and poverty is lack of knowledge. I said this and I will say it again during the week. You know, in England, we are so blessed. But yet, in the same country, some people are so terribly poor. There is, there is argument among the political parties. One is saying that take the money from those who have sweated and labored hard and give it to those who are poor, who just, you know, you know make themselves poor. Another party is saying, no, you can't do that. You can't rob Peter to people. Okay? Let everybody who is poor recognize why they are poor and let them do something. And I'll say this to you. Come on now. Let us be realistic. A person born in England, grew up in England, and then ended up poor. It's his decision. It's his decision. Because you ask me why. You know, I know some folks who were born in some very remote village in Africa, you know, among very poor family, and they made their way from that remote village that is not on the map of this globe to become staff of the Commonwealth staff of the United Nations, staff of the World Bank, not only that, but director of World Bank. And they did not, they were not silver spoon fed. They were not born by rich families. Really, they broke the power of poverty in their own era and brought riches into the family that had been poverty stricken for generations. They were born in village. They came out of the village and they became international figures. Now, they did that without any, any um, availed opportunity. Talk less you who, you, you are born in England, primary school is free. When you are conceived in England, government is flying over you. Even when you are in the womb, the government have budget for you. You come out of the womb, you have every, every technology, you have every opportunity, you go to a crash, you go to primary school, you go to secondary school. All these things are free. And yet, after all that, somebody will come out in, his, in this country and say that, well, I'm a poor person. I should be collecting gyro. Because there is gyro. Is it gyro they call it or gyroscope? <laughs> gyro. You call it gyro? JSA. They changed the name? No, job seekers allowance is different. Job seekers allowance is for you that when you have been in job and you are seeking job, isn't it? And they make sure that you are really looking for a job. And you must come and show them in job center that you are looking for a job. Universal credit. Okay. Now, let me say this. Before, because it seems as if I'm, I've been exported out of England. Before, <laughs> before, either you look for a job, you don't look for a job. Once you don't have a job, you, get, you collect money. Before. Oh, we have been wiser now. Thank God for Jesus. That must be for one party that did it. I won't tell you who the party is, but let's carry on. Let's carry on. So now, even in England, they will expect you that you show proof that you are looking for a job before they give you that money, which means they are telling you that if you don't look for a job, we stop giving the money. I think they are still good. There is another country where ah, you get a job, you don't get a job, it's nobody's business. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's nobody's business. You get a job, you don't get a job. You, you can't go to government and say to the government, I don't get a job. They will walk you out of the office. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, wow. Because they want to take tax from you, even if you are jobless now. Can you imagine then that we are so privileged and honored to be in England, where government is even encouraging you to go get a job. And if you don't have a skill, government will pay for you to go and learn a skill. And in some other countries, the skill you have, government wants to take it from you. Hello, somebody. Therefore, listen to me. What you are doing to your life today 
informs the comfort you will get tomorrow. The comfort you have today is a result of what you did to your life yesterday. Come on now. Let me say this to you. Enlightenment is so fundamental. That's why Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. What will happen to an enlightened Christian? You will discover the hope of your calling. Listen to me. If you are born again, you have a hope. Your hope when you die is solid. I can't hear amen. amen. There is a religion on earth today. One of the biggest religions. Their, their leader, his followers went to him and said that we have left everything, we are following you. What is our hope? He said, I do not know where I'm coming from, neither do I know where I'm going. And yet billions are following that religion. But Jesus said to us, I am going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. We have a living hope. It is the revelation of your heart, illumination of your heart, that gives you the knowledge that if you die, you are going to what? Paradise of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. But not only that. That is the revelation you have when you are born again. If I die now, my eternity is secured. I know where I'm going, so I don't care if I'm killed. I don't care if I die, because if I die, for me to die again. How I die does not matter, but the fact is that I just die. Hallelujah, somebody. And I cannot die until the one who put the life there say, come. Hallelujah, somebody. We have a hope. Secondly, enlightenment in God, it says, He gives you the knowledge of the richest thought in you. When God created you, He stored riches in you. Come on, let me take you through a little clips of that. Look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. You just didn't manifest in this world. It says, For I know my plans, the plans I have towards you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Who is speaking here? God. Isn't it? Come on, church. Who is speaking? So God knows his plan for you. And God said his plan is not to harm you. So it means it's a fantastic plan. His plan is to give you hope. Hello? And his plan is to give you a future. Correct? So Christians should know this. Your tomorrow should not be miserable. Alright? So, if God says He knows His plans for you, let's see then. No wonder in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. He said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, what did he say? Now, because God has a plan for you, so, before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Which means God manufactured you according to that plan he has for you. Come on, come on, come on. Are we together? That's why some of us, we, 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 in the church, we grew up ordinary persons and suddenly we start prophesying. Some of us will just manifest as pastors. Some of us will just manifest as teachers, deep teachers. And we hear the same word everybody hears, but when we teach it, it's different. Some of us will grow up and become miracle workers. And we speak that the lame walk and the blind see. Because God knows his plan for us and he had coded us in the formation of us to function in that plan. Together. And he ended up by saying here, I set you apart and appointed you to be a prophet. There is a purpose for our creation. Go back to Ephesians for us to finish that. This is the reason why the Ephesians says that you have hope of your calling and there are riches that God has stored inside you. But Paul said many of us Christians don't know it. Let me say this to you in this church. I can prove it to you. I was helping them to understand that yesterday in my lecture. There are some children born in this church. 
And when they were born, I called them lawyers. Or I called them doctors. I don't call them those words because I just ate belly full. On their naming ceremony, God told me their career in life and their spiritual call. And I announced it. Once I announce such, I will continue to call that child in what God has said. And some of them today, they have become those things. They have become those things. Listen to me. Because a child that will be a prime minister today, tomorrow, we will carry him to this altar for dedication, like ordinary child. But that child has a destiny that God had coded in his spirit. Are we together now? But not everybody got coded to be great are great. Not everybody got coded to be judges. Some people that should be judges, they are, they are paupers on the streets of, of London. Some people should be genius medical doctors, but they are paupers with, with boys committing credit card fraud and, 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 um, and drugs. Why? Because the eyes of their heart is darkened. Those who manifest what they were created to be, it is because they were enlightened. And now, enlightenment comes by information. And, of course, right information and maybe timely right information. Therefore, Christians who are reckless under the control of Satan, they have no knowledge of the word of God. That's the reason. If a Christian does not read the Bible, you don't know much. I have stood before you all these times. I have been talking to you. I have been quoting the scriptures. I have not gone to look at the book to see what I wrote. I spoke it from my head. It is not because I sat down to memorize the Bible. Before I was a pastor, that's what I was. What I was before I became a minister is what is with me till today. When I was a, a youth, that's what I was. Most of these scriptures, I knew them when I was a youth, teenager. That's how I know it. And I knew them not because I memorized them. When you read the Bible again and again and again and again and again, it sticks in your head. Look, let me say something to you. Do you know that if you want to be an, a first-class student, one of the easiest ways to, to if those of you raising children now, to raise a child and make him a first-class is let the child read the Bible all the time. Because whenever you study Bible and let the child tell you what he has gained, whenever you study Bible, you know what it does? It opens up every ability of intelligence quotients in you. Because Bible is mystery. It's different from the letters of mathematics or letters of law. Letters of law are plain letters. Letters of medicine are plain letters. Somebody wrote it, you can see it. But Bible is mystery. So, when a child or anybody likes reading the Bible all the time, you will have educated your brain in the sense of climatizing it to unveil mysteries, to investigate and to dig out facts. And those are the basic things you need for university to become excellent. That's all you need. That's what you need for your career. You will have people who are traders, okay? And they do the same trade. But one of them will remain in the same place for 20 years, whereas somebody in the same trade will come and within 10 years he has spread his trade 10 branches, 100 branches. What is the difference? IQ. And Christians, you are giving free by studying the Bible. I would say study to show yourself approved workman. This book of the Lord shall not depart from your, your mouth. I hate it when Christians are telling me that, you know, I'm frustrated or, you know, I, can't, I don't know what to do. Why can't you know what to do? Why can't you know what to do? Knock up yourself three days and you know what to do. You have a God who coded your destiny and who can speak? Who does speak? Who can reveal to you? He said, come close to me and I come close to you. Then I will show you deep, great hidden things that you know not. If the devil will do anything to a Christian, it is to paralyze your idea. 
to hinder you from serving God, to hinder you from seeking God. If he can, he can keep you where you are or even draw you down in your lifetime. You have a hope. You are more than what you think you are. Because the riches of his glorious inheritance is in you, the saints. Come on. A lot you have not exploited is still inside you, waiting for you to exploit. You will never access it except you are enlightened. Come on, I have five minutes to close. Somebody will agree with me. A good number of you, if they are playing World Cup at 2 a.m., you will put on the television from 12, sitting down on your sofa, taking coffee. Yeah? All the, the uh, clubs of Spain, what do you call them? Um, Silver Spoon? Royal Madrid. Royal Madrid, Barcelona. And what? You have Real Madrid, you have Barcelona, you have Valentin, Valencian, and you have what again? Ah, uh-uh. I've never had this one. Atletico Madrid. Eh? All this club and all these footballers, backbusting, and uh, what's their name to you? These footballers that you, you put that photograph all over the whole place? Tornados. Ronaldo. And who? Eh? Messi. I haven't had that before. That guy should be having mercy on them when he wants to score. <laughs> His name is Messi. <laughs> oh, M-E-S-S-I. Messi. Oh, oh, wow. That's interesting. I would have loved to play football against that person because if he's a merciful man, he won't score in my goalpost. Now, all these guys, when they want to play at 2 a.m., you will switch on television and be watching. Yes? And if they delay the game till morning and you are going to work the following morning, you know that many people in your office also will not sleep. Because when you get to the office, the first discussion that day is how they didn't score goal that they should have scored. Correct? Good. And there are some of you who watch films. Someone call it films. Yes. And when you are to do your films at 12, you sit on television and you get um, a cookie on one side and then, um, you, know, you know, husband and wife, they will stop quarreling at the time because both of them are fans of the football and fans of this uh, something stuff. And you can watch people behaving as if they are real. The person they killed yesterday, he will come up to us again and he will show. I thought he was dead yesterday. It's last week they killed him. Why, why is he coming again to television? No, 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 no. You and I know that these guys are ordinary people like us who are just acting things. You get so sunk in it. And, hey, yes? Like somebody who kicked the head of another person in the football stadium when he was going to say, go, 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 go! <laughs> and he kicked the head of the person sitting in front. But you forgive him. No sin at that place. But when they call night vigil, you don't come. Can you imagine me? Bible study on Tuesday. <laughs> you have excuses. Hello, somebody. They said to you, wake up 12 midnight today and pray. You, by that 12 midnight, you change your gear to higher gear in snoring. <laughs> your wife woke you and said, leave me alone. God said, pray. Leave me alone. All right? But if they woke you up that your bambasin wants to play football now, you will quickly run up. Say, thank you, thank you for waking me. Is it Satan who makes that? No, you are the one. The devil influences man to commit his life to worthless things in life. Or things that will destroy man. That's how the devil gets engaging. If man can commit himself to worthless things, we can commit ourselves to things that are worth, which is serving of God. Uh, but you understand that the book of Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. It says, 
As the devil deceived Adam, till this hour he is also deceiving the saints of God from their commitment to their early love, pure and sincere love for God. He will make you love everything that is worthless. Things that cannot save you in time of trouble. Things that cannot make your tomorrow better. Really, students that should be studying so that they can pass well, they will engage themselves watching these rubbish films. You know, when I was going to university, I'm still, anyway, <laughs> when, I was, when I was doing my LLB, when we get to class sometimes, they'll be discussing all these names of people. And one of the days, they tried to intimidate me that I don't know all these people. I said, I don't know them. Do you know Jephthah? What is Jephthah? Do you know Paul? Yes, there are many Pauls. No, I'm not talking about that. Do you know the person called Jabez? I pride myself in knowing all the names of the Bible. It's not a sin to know other names, but it is a sin to know other names and you don't know the names in the Bible. That is a contravention. Because where your treasure is, you want to succeed in life? That is the way. Enlightenment in the Word of God. You read and read and read, you want God to bless it? Enlightenment in the Word of God. The devil come against you to overcome him, enlightenment in the word of God. Somebody is under oppression of the devil and you get their all demons run away. Because you are enlightened. The final one we'll look at next week. It says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope of your calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like his walking of the mighty strength of Jesus when he, of God, when he exerted it upon Jesus' grave and raised him from the dead. Verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20. We will look at the power that raises us from the dead. It's inside you, a Christian. Hope is in you, riches is in you, power is in you, but you can't operate them Unless you are enlightened. That's why this morning we are looking at 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Whenever a man turns to Christ, veil is removed. Let me give you this before I pray with you. God told me to tell the people I was ministering to yesterday this. A good number of times, many of us will sit down and regret what we did not do. I wish when I was growing I did this. If I had done that now, I would have been a better man. Everything that you had thought you should have done to make your today better, you know what? Do it now. That's what I'm telling you. Do it now. It is good to remember that if you had done this, your today would have been better. But it is bad not to do anything about it. Why will God bring reflection of your past to you? It's because he wants to do it now. Because what you are now is a result of what you did yesterday to yourself. Don't give up. Don't give up hope. As long as you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. Don't cry for the sins that have been forgiven. Don't sit down and be worrying your brain over the sins that God has forgiven and be using your human rational mind to try to under, uh, uh, you know, uh, analyze whether it is true or not. Or listen to the first prophets on television who told you that they still have to do something over it. Who did something over their own sin? Who is the person Jesus sent to go and die for others? He died for sins once and for all, Hebrews says. And since then no more sacrifice for sin. Forget about what God has forgotten about. God is not interested in your past. He's interested in your today. Because your tomorrow is of his great valued interest. And the fact is this. God has put inside you everything you need for life and for godliness. But it is through the knowledge of Christ. Therefore, we make up our mind. I look at great stars for tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't answer you. I can understand what you're doing. I said, I'm looking at great people of tomorrow. <laughs> my, oh my. 
You know what the devil doesn't want us to be, we will be. <laughs> because it's anything the devil doesn't want us to be is, is contrary to what God wants us to be. And what the devil wants us to be is contrary to what God wants us to be. Listen to me. You might have not done anything to your old age. In this old age, do something. You didn't hear what I said. Do something. Look inside you and see God. Not because you are a perfect man, but because Jesus paid the price. Look inside you and see God. See what God will have done through you. And decide you want to cooperate with God. Now, now, now. Don't let somebody measure your righteousness. Okay? According to the word of God, when you submit to God, the reward you get is righteousness. Romans chapter 6. Righteousness is not observance of regulations. Be careful what you hear. Hear the written word, not what man say. Everything man say, check it whether it is written or not. As far as I'm concerned, no weapon forged against me will prosper. Is this so with you too? I can't understand you. I said every tongue that rises against me in judgment shall be condemned. Hello? So if every tongue that will rise against you will be condemned, why are you moved by what people say? The Bible says once you eat their mouth, let people say about me, I don't care. Oh? Let them say, before you were born, people have been saying. When you are alive, they will say. When you are dead, they will even say to your corpse. Hallelujah, when you can't hear. So, why would you allow what people say, people's opinion to determine how you run your life? You should run your life according to the written word of God. I don't care to please anybody as long as I please the living God. How do I know I please Him? By walking in the light of His word. Hey! For with God, all things are... A failure is not a person who failed the examination. He's the one who quit. Let me tell you my testimony when I was in Nigeria. You know, we went to do two weddings in Nigeria last week. And I'm in the last leg of my, of my course. Really, you will clap for me next week because I will drop pen. And I'll finish my LLM. I'm doing commercial contract now. So if you are having business, local, international, and you need someone to advise you on contract, come and say me. Mm-hmm. But don't, come, don't book through counseling. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen to me. We went for a wedding. On Monday, I submitted my first test, which I, or exam, whatever you call it, on Sunday night. On Monday, I was in the plane. I read, because I read all the questions the professor asked on Sunday. I asked four questions, and I wrote all the questions. So, I read one throughout the plane. As we landed in Lagos, and we got home, I went and wrote my second submission. I posted it. Because on Tuesday is the only day I have. So, on Tuesday, I read the third one and posted it. Wednesday, I was in the wedding right through. When we came back from that wedding, that Wednesday night, I'm supposed to submit two other, you know, representations. One of them is an assignment, very huge one. Now listen to me. I came back on Wednesday, and I was fed up. Did you just hear what I said? (laughs) I was fed up. Mommy knows me that I may read for three days without sleeping. Because I love law. It's just like the Bible. The more I read law, the more I understand Bible. So I read it with a passion. But that day, I've been saying that when we come back from the wedding, if I will come quick, I cannot wait in wedding, they let us go by five. I got to the hotel. Because some people book hotel for us, you know, one of our sons in Nigeria. For our anniversary. Very good hotel near the place. And went to the hotel back. I got fed up. I opened my book. And it is like, it is Chinese. I opened the second page. It's like Russian. When I looked at the pages, I just got fed up. I said, book, take, stay. I'm going to sleep. My wife said, but you have two submissions today. I said, forget it. I'm going to sleep. I just fed up. And when I went to my bed, I heard, you are fed up. Hello? 
And I know that that's a different voice. It's good to be a friend of God. <laughs> and God said to me, since the creation has been working, till now I'm working, have you had me fed up? <laughs> I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just fed up. He said, you are not fed up. Get up! <laughs> I got up from my, my bed. But, you know, I have been on the bed. You know, when you are fed up, you go to bed, you can't even sleep. You are looking like this. It's my wife who said that you slept a little. I thought I didn't sleep at all. Because, I mean, two hours I was just there. When the Lord told me, fed up, assignment you must submit. You want A, you have to submit. I got up. I now took my book. This is just three weeks to finish. I now took my book. I said, if head does not enter this, if this book does not enter my head, my head will enter the book. Okay? I began to read. 30 minutes reading and not understanding. Reading. I, inter- I decided that I will read. 30 minutes, my brain just opened up. God will not help you unless you act. Paul said, show me your faith. I will show you my work. When my brain opened up, I said, yes, this is God now for you. I wrote till morning and I submitted. By Saturday, before we finished, when we were in the second wedding, I went to the board and I got A's, everything. My total mark jumped. Huh? So I understand, therefore, that fed up is not in the diary of God. Are we together? God is a workaholic. Some people say that you need rest, you need rest. Who says that we don't have rest? Are you the one who will tell somebody to have rest? Everybody who works, if you don't rest, your body will break down, you rest. And you break it up again. Listen to me. You, we, we need to understand this. Everything we need for life, God put it inside here. Everything we need for godliness, God put it inside here. It is your choice and who you will be. You can still do something today. I say your tomorrow will be better. I say your tomorrow will be better. So we stand up on our feet, please, together. I want you to celebrate yourself. Celebrate yourself. Celebrate yourself.